0: with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, New Testament, go to the middle, keep going right, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you'll get there. Let me... uh... Get rid of some papers. That way, if you can see the papers, you won't feel the sermon so long. So, three Sundays ago, we began a series on spiritual and financial health. First one, God owns it all. He is our source. Oh, I forgot. I'll let you absorb it. She's not going to hear anything else. It's, and it's not my baby picture, just so. Uh, uh. Hopefully it's not anybody's baby picture. Mm. It's nice that when you have small babies, right, the first thing that we're taught in our communities is to say that every newborn's cute, every baby's cute, even when they're ugly, so it's good. First one, God owns it all. He is our source and we are his stewards. I reminded everybody when it comes to our stuff, that not only does God own our stuff, he is the one that owns it all, but especially to remind you that he owns us. We belong to him. Then I reminded you that um, money is not evil. First Timothy chapter 6 talks about the, the love of money being the roots or the root of many kinds of evil. But money itself is not evil, and if we use it for kingdom purposes, we use it to help others, we use it to bless others. It's actually a wonderful thing, and God even allows some of that just to be spent on ourselves and our needs and some of our pleasures as well. But when I got to the end of the sermon last Sunday, I reminded you that I was going to answer the question this week about, well, how much, right? How much? what goes where, and all of those kinds of things. So to continue to journey there, I'm going to deal with some of the how much today. And we're going to look at that from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and so get ready to read some of that. The the text is there for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to begin in, in verse 1 follow along either behind me or in your in your Bibles the Apostle Paul is the writer and he's writing to the Corinthians and he's writing about an offering that is being received in Greece and in Macedonia in order to help the Jerusalem church that's going through hard times so the offering is not for themselves it's going out And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It's interesting that Macedonia is in the news. Are you aware of that? Any of you follow the insignificant pieces of news? Greece and Macedonia don't get along. And uh, Greeks don't like the fact that the Macedonians call their country Macedonia. And uh, Greece is a part of NATO. Macedonia wants to be a part of NATO because of the big, bad Russian bear, right? Right and uh, Greece is blocking Macedonia's entry into NATO because of the name of their country. So compromise was just drawn up recently. And now it's no longer going to be called, you know, the nation or the country of Macedonia. It's going to be the Northern Macedonian Republic. <laughs> and apparently that's going to make all the difference. Yeah, right. Right. Now you know why you weren't paying attention to it. Now I know what you're thinking. Brent, why why do, you, why do you know stuff? Karen, why do I know that stuff? Yeah. For those of you that didn't hear it over there, my loving wife of almost 35 years said you're full of useless knowledge. tone down the honesty a little bit (laughs) holy cow looks like I'm lunch just for one today and now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial I can relate their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, this is about the Macedonian churches, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, in other words, of raising offerings for Jerusalem. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, another one of the guys that's helping with the offering, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. In other words, they got things rolling, but it was stuttering. They weren't getting to the completion part of this at Corinth. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, useless information, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So again, the context. Paul, the Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthians to complete their offering for the Jerusalem church. The northern region of Greece, Macedonia, is doing Great is doing a really good job in raising the funds, even in the midst of very trying circumstances. The apostle doesn't detail the trying circumstances, but obviously there are things going on in the north that are causing them problems that could actually interfere with the giving. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding the church at Corinth and reminding Titus to kind of, you know, redouble their efforts to make sure that they do the work that they said they wanted to participate in. And he's reminding them, literally reminding them, that their poor neighbor to the north, Macedonia, is doing an incredible job with the offering. They asked to be a part of it. They are a part of it. They're doing even beyond their wildest expectations. But Corinth is lagging behind. So there's two very simple principles here when it comes to what we're going to dig into, the grace of giving. And I want to take you back again to chapter 8, and I, and I want to look at the verse that I think is most important. Verse 5. I'm going to talk about some of the other stuff in there, but I want to talk about verse 5. And let me read it again. Paul says... And they exceeded our expectations. That's not the thing. That's cool, but that's not the thing. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So when it comes to answering the question, how much do we give to God? Let me play with it just a little. The answer to that is 100%. But we're not talking about what's in here, we're talking about what's in here. Look folks, before you want to take on any endeavor, and in this particular situation, it's the Corinthian church helping out with another church, the mother church really, the one at Jerusalem, that's going through financially difficult times. Before you take on any endeavor as a Christ follower, whether it's financial or spiritual or or whatever it might be, it might even be a physical thing that you're doing something for God, the first thing that you want to get settled is this, that you give yourself totally, wholly, and completely to Jesus. You've heard this said a lot of times over in the past, especially those of us that are on, as they say in the commercials, the better side of 50. I'll tell you what the better side of 50 is. Anything under 50. Okay? Yeah. But any of us that have been around a while, we've heard this over and over again, right? We we just have. It's been said all kinds of things. Look, God doesn't need your stuff i already I already proved that to you in, in the first sermon from all the way you know in job and in, in first chronicles and again in 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 first corinthians chapter six god already owns all the stuff there's no need to get more stuff god is not short of stuff if if god had physical i guess you could say banks and vaults and stuff like that he could fill up continents with all of the stuff that he has he doesn't need your stuff. I mean, if you had your bank accounts in front of you right now, whether on your phone or on a sheet of paper, and you said, "Hey God, would my 10,000 or my 50,000 or my 100,000 or maybe you've got 500,000 or maybe you've even got something beyond that. Hey God, would that make you richer?" And God would say, "No, cuz I own it all." Amen. So God isn't interested in your stuff. Now, for those of you that are somewhat cynical in the church, you might say, well, pastor, I know God isn't interested in my stuff, but the leadership is. Now, I told you last Sunday, I can't lie to you over the platform. So let me go down here. No! Look, before you give anything to anybody as a Christ follower, if it's in the name of the Lord, if it's about kingdom work, before you do anything for anybody, the first thing you and I have to take care of is to make sure that we've given ourselves totally and completely to the Lord. That way, whatever happens after that is done with right motives and doesn't come grudgingly. Because as we're going to get together at one sermon down the road, God loves what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. My son Mitch, if you knew Mitch, and some of you do, he loves quoting that to me. Dad, God loves a cheerful giver. So, Dad. (laughs) If you knew Mitch. So the first thing here is you give yourself to God. Now, that's an interesting thought. You might say, well, I've confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know he's my Savior. I, I love him. You know, I'm in church. I, you know, I try to do this for the kingdom. I try to do that for the kingdom. You know, I think I'm, I'm pretty into Jesus. Well, let's look at I just wanted to look at two verses. Just two verses that talk a little bit about this. That, that maybe use a little different phraseology or, or wordage. But they talk about this. In Psalm 37, 4-6, the psalmist says this, Delight yourself and commit yourself to the Lord. Delight yourself and commit yourself to the Lord. I, again, the reason why I'm focusing on delight and commit, because I think that's really important to us when it comes to giving ourselves. If you really love somebody, and you really love what they're doing, you delight in sharing with them and the work that they're doing. That's easy. I mean, sometimes you will do things for people you don't even want to do what, what they're doing, but because you like them and appreciate them so much and want to be a help, you do it. I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, Adam, don't take offense to this because I didn't help you move, but the first thing that comes to mind, I remember back in the good old days when we were in Sudbury and I was a lot younger and my back and neck were in a lot better shape, my wife could tell you, I can't... I, cannot come up with a number of how many people I help move I I can't it's just the, the number is astronomical and there are some people when you help them move are ready for the movers to come in I hope you were I hope you were right you know you did well we'll we'll talk so what I mean by that is this, if, if you're moving and you're having guys like the six-footers and the 200-pounders like me to come in and, and, and carry, you know, your fridges and stoves and stuff, first thing it would be nice to do if you emptied the fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be nice when the washer and dryers are going out that the dryer's not full of clothes. That, that's nice. And that the boxes are actually packed and labeled. That's fun, too. I can remember one lady we helped and we wanted to help her because she was a single mom but I remember the gang of us came in and, and like nothing was ready. Nothing. It was just like a bomb went off in the house. The fridge wasn't empty. The cupboards weren't empty. There were like boxes scattered around, clothes scattered around, laundry scattered around and we spent like a couple of hours before we moved anything just trying to get her help to like get it in order. Any police officers in the room today? Because we have some. Okay, good, they're not here. So one time... You guys look more trustworthy. So one time, there's a lady in our church that's going through a tight spot in her marriage, and she's making the decision to leave, right? And so she calls some of us up and says, Look, you know... It's time, I'm leaving, I've done my thing, put up with, but I'm, you know, I'm going to leave. Could you help us move? So we're like, okay. It never dawned on us that legally, when you're married to somebody, that you can't take stuff out of the house. <laughs> yeah, I was, wasn't as smart as I am now, Dave. <laughs> Dave will <laughs> struggle with that one, yeah. And while we're helping her take what we think is her stuff out of the house, the OPP (laughs) pull-up. That day, we move stuff back into the house. (laughs) My point is, I've moved so many people that when somebody says, hey, we're moving... Yeah. Well, somebody had to guard the fort Friday. Yeah. But because you love them, you're willing to do it. You're willing to commit to it. You're not really happy with the job, but you love them. So, Adam, sorry about not loving you. <laughs> we're working on it, we're building. Yeah. So delight yourself in the Lord and commit yourself to Him. Delight yourself in Jesus and commit yourself to Him. Totally and completely. Before you do anything, fall in love with Jesus. Right? Don't fall in love with the church. Don't fall in love with the people at the church. Fall in love with Jesus. We were singing it today, right? The firm foundation is the love of Jesus Christ. That's the firm foundation. I mean, you look around. These are all wonderful people, but we are not the firm foundation. We got flaws and holes and gaps and cracks. Jesus is the firm foundation. We're building our lives on Jesus because he's the firm foundation. So delight yourself and commit yourself to the Lord. Give yourself totally to the Lord. And then in James 4, 7 and 8, it says submit yourself to him and draw near to him. Which again was what we were encouraged to do this morning is draw near to him. So it says here that the people in the Macedonian churches, even though they were going through really difficult times, uh, probably persecution, and and likely because of their poverty that that wasn't the wealthiest part of the Roman Empire, that there there were financial constraints on them, the Apostle Paul says, yeah, they gave well, and it looks like Corinth, they're out giving you. But he said, you know what, Corinth. I'm not going to put a thermometer up there and, and one say Corinth church and they've got this much and the Macedonian churches and they've got that much. He says, I'm not going to compare numbers. What I want to compare with you, what I want to remind you about is they did the first and greatest and best thing and they gave themselves fully and completely to Jesus. That's where you begin. You don't begin with a number tithing, 10th, we'll talk about the numbers. But that's not where you begin with. You begin with the first number that matters the most, 100%. I give 100% of myself to Jesus. Because if you don't give yourself 100% to Jesus, like I said earlier, all the stuff afterwards, all of the asks that can be made upon you during your life as a Christ follower will become Scrooge-like And I think you know the guy. Before we do anything, give anything, go anywhere, let's look at what it means to give ourselves to the Lord. I give, I go, I do, because I love Jesus. It's great that you love what the money's doing it's great that you love where the money is going. Again, our missions, $10,000, our special offering for Servant's Heart in the Dominican Republic, and some of that also going to Honduras this year to help them with their itinerant teachers. We believe in the work. We know what the work is doing. We've had countless reports about the work is doing. Pastor Dale and Carolyn were here December 30th and filled us in on all the good things the money is doing, but we give and we go because we love Jesus. Can you say amen? What were the Macedonian churches able to do? These churches in the north, these churches that did not have great wealth, these churches that sounds like they were going, you know, through some kind of external persecution because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse five, it says, they exceeded our expectations. What are your expectations for yourself? Regardless of whether it's some goal that you've set, financial or otherwise, or you know, competency or quality of work at work or at home, raising your kids, exceeded expectations. There was a hope for this, and they got that. I mean... The Apostle Paul, in a sense, didn't really have a, a, you know, a dog in this fight. The money wasn't going to him. The money was going to a church that he loved, and he felt that the Gentile churches owned the mother church, the Jewish church, their very life, and so there was passion involved, but none of this was going to be directed his way. It was going to go to help the needs of others, and there was some level of expectation, I'm sure, on his part, and maybe even at the church at Corinth that there was some idea of what they wanted to do But at Macedonia, whether the expectations were lower, the expectations were high, the Apostle Paul says they were were able to exceed the expectations, but the reason for that wasn't that they had more offerings than Corinth. It wasn't that they put thermometer charts on the platform. It wasn't that they had the pastor pleading for money over and over again every Sunday when they gathered. The reason why the expectations were, were exceeded was because they gave themselves first to God. If you surrender yourself completely and totally in Christ and say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, who knows what can happen? When, when the priority is to please him and to do what God is calling us to do, the expectations can be exceeded. Because we, we, we settle the heart issues. Look, the Bible reminds us, and we've talked about this already in the past here in the last couple of weeks. We've touched on it from time again, right? The issue often is idolatry. We want to hold on to our stuff. The issue is, is that we, none of us have a big enough heart that we can love God and put God first and our stuff. We've got to make choices. And the only way you can make the right choices and sever the bonds to idolatry and lust after things is to make certain that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For the Bible reminds us in both Old and New Testaments, for this is the first and greatest commandment, that you love him. And when you love him and by the spirit of God or through the word of God or, or through the working of our church, God speaks to us and says, do this or do that or give this or give that or go here or go there. Then because we've given ourselves to him, the struggle just isn't there anymore. We've crucified the flesh. We've crucified our own desires. We've we've killed our own loss. And we say, OK, Lord, whatever it is, what is it you want me to do? Pastor Brent, the leadership, might have an expectation. My spouse might have an expectation. What is it that you want me to do? The Bible says that in the midst of a very severe trial, they gave to others while in the midst of their own crisis. Think about this, folks. Again, put yourself in the day and the time of 2,000 years ago, you're in Macedonia, you're in that little region to the north, you know, that kind of gave birth to Alexander the Great, that guy, you're in that region, it's, it's experiencing a, some kind of trial, he eventually mentions that there was extreme poverty so we we recognize that there was obviously an issue of of wealth and and, and prosperity in the area, but we're also under the expectation that there may have been some kind of church persecution and in the midst of their severe trial whatever it was, and their extreme poverty, look what it says if you keep reading in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says "It, it flowed out in overflowing joy and in rich generosity. Let me use the math for you. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Now that doesn't make sense. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty means that I give a little with a smile on my face. That's what most of us think. But in the Macedonian region, overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Now, the generosity isn't isn't measured by the the amount. You might say, well, of course it is. No, 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 no. Rich generosity to really poor people could be like the widow's mite who gave all that she had. And when you added it up, it was the square root of nothing, which is... Math guy. Now we know that we're not dealing with zeros here. But it's possible that their rich generosity didn't equal the total amount that the Corinthian church gave. The, the thing is, is that the Corinthian church had the ability likely to give much more. And they were struggling getting there but the macedonian church i think this is the way the conversation went we owe our faith to our jewish brethren those you know 120 day of pentecost spirits poured out church begins to go uh, grow more J- jewish people get saved than uh, the hebraic speaking jews than the uh And the Aramaic-speaking Jews, and then the Greek-speaking Jews, and then the Greek-speaking Jews take the gospel uh, to to the Gentiles, and the church is growing and growing and growing. It all got started in Jerusalem. So the Macedonians know their history. It's good sometimes to know your history. And they realize that the reason why they're saved while they follow Jesus is because it all started back in Jerusalem. That's where the roots of the movement were. And so they said, the church is struggling. The people are having tough times. Let's see what we can do financially to help them. Likely some people in their own churches, and they probably had congregational meetings. And some people in their own churches in Macedonia probably said, well, I don't know if we can or not. You know, we're having our own tough times. And they said, well, you know what? Let's, before we talk about a number, let's just make sure we give ourselves fully to the Lord. And then once we've given ourselves fully to the Lord, let's see what the spirit of God speaks to us. And the Apostle Paul tells us that their overflowing joy plus their extreme poverty led to rich generosity. Because the first thing we do, right, is we say, well, this is what I got. This is what I think I can afford to give. Just about all of us do that. There's no faith factor in it. There's no what could God do. There's no, well, should I sacrifice something in order to make something bigger or better happen? I'm willing to deny myself that I could make others blessed and help others? Would I be willing to suffer a little to ease the burden of others? Or is it just, again, about me and my comfort? And the only way you can plow through that is to first give yourself to Jesus. Because if you don't, the answers are going to be this, well, of course I take care of myself. I got my own family and my own needs and my own stuff and my own bills and my own this and my own that. So it's about me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 that they gave as. His... Now, am I the only one that read this and said that, that those things both can't be true? Uh, look what it says here. Um, I just want to find... Yeah, verse 3. Go look at verse 3. Am I the only one that, that just kind of messes me up here? He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Okay, now again, I was educated in a northern university, so like, let's talk slow. They gave as much as they were able. Right? As much as you were able means you can't able anymore. Can I use the crazy words? As much as they are able. If you give as much as you are able, that suggests that you can't give any more. Am I right? Help me, the linguists? Your math teacher, you know nothing about English. (laughs) I I know us. You're either good at English, you're good at math, you're not good at both, right? As much as they are able, I mean, that's it. And then he says, and even beyond their ability, that doesn't make sense. If you've, are you with me? Is it just me? It's, it's 5 2, folks. We got to sort this out. If you gave as much as you were able, that's as much as you are able to give. Right, Maureen? Work with me, girl. Thank you. One coerced. And then it says, and even beyond there, Ability Now, that only makes sense in the church, in the realm of the spirit. That's the only place that that makes sense. If I've got $100, I can't give you 105 right? But there's supernatural touch here. There's a God aspect of this that the church can't be foolish about, but needs to recognize and encourage. They gave as much as they were able, and then even beyond their ability, I think it means this. There was an assessment made individually and corporately of what they thought they could do. They thought, you know what, that's probably all we can do. And then they found as they began to collect offerings... They were exceeding their expectations and let's say the number was a thousand dollars and they found themselves with the ability to give 1200 and they looked at that and they said well at the beginning we said we could do a thousand and we've done 1200 and they 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 circle around in their church and they give glory to God and they say well how was that able and they say well we're not really sure because we're pretty sure we did a good assessment of this and we didn't have the resources but nonetheless there it is God did something in our hearts we sacrifice more we, we 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 gave more why because they gave themselves first to who god they didn't give themselves first to the cause they gave themselves first to god so he says to them look you excel in a lot of things faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love he says look you're, you're great at a lot of things. God's grace, God's favor, God's power, God's spirit's working in a lot of great ways. So he says to the Corinthian church, make sure it's working in the grace of giving. And I think the reason why that's so significant to us, it really does, again, come, come around to about settling Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and first of all, giving ourselves to him. Because money does have, wealth does have, stuff does have a little bit of a pull on us. And sometimes it has a big pull on us. And so first give yourself to God. Break all of those maybe bad habits or bad thinking. Break the idolatry in our lives. All of those kinds of stuff. Make sure you give yourself fully to him. Then you can, the second point, and just very quickly, is then you give yourself to the cause. Years ago, our son, our oldest son, was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. We had uh, no idea what that was. In fact, when I was the youth pastor, I used to visit a girl in Sault Ste. Marie when I was in the Sioux. I used to visit a girl there named, Kristen? Kristen. Kristen Edgar. And uh, you'll be happy we don't do it this way here. Pastor Ellis would say to me, Brent, I want you to go see Kristen Edgar, okay? So I'd go see Kristen Edgar. I had no idea what Kristen Edgar had. I'd get to the hospital in the Sioux, and Kristen Edgar has cystic fibrosis. I have no idea what cystic fibrosis is back in those days. I'm, uh, I'm 25. I don't have a uh, care in the world. And uh, I visit Kristen, and I do the pastoral thing, and she's, you know, younger, 8, 9, 10, something around that. And I visit with her, and I pray with her, and so on and so forth, and do my thing. You know, sure enough, a few years later, we find out that our son, our firstborn, is diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, right? So up until 1990, I never gave a cent to the Canadian Cystic Fibrosis Society. Sorry about that. Never gave a cent. Guess what? We give a few bucks now, and more than a few bucks now. Why? Because the cause matters to us, because we have a son I don't really care about anybody else. I just care about my son. And I know that 90% of the money goes to research. And so we trust in Jesus and hope in science can help. And science has helped with some controls and things like that. When, we were, when Kyle was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, we were told that uh, most kids live to be 12. He was 4 at the time. And now he's 33 and getting hitched in a couple of months. So we are very grateful to, to God. But here's the thing. Until I had a son with CF, I could care less about cystic fibrosis. There's all kinds of good causes out there, right? All kinds. And some of us will throw a $5 bill or a $10 bill in the pot because, well, that's the thing to do. But now that I have somebody that I love, you know, now I'm, I'm much more passionate about the cause. That's why you'll notice in May, every, there's a Sunday in May, that I take the morning off and we do a cystic fibrosis walk and we fundraise and all of that for for a cure you know because we care about it now but I care about it because I care about Kyle I care about the church and kingdom work because I care about Jesus let's pray